This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, who are your all-time three favorite people in New Jersey Devils history? Wow. All right. So, as you know, I'm a fan uh, why. Well, of you, uh, but also <laughs> of the Devils. And uh, so I've been a fan for a really long time. I've been, I think my first time I was ever really cognizant of hockey was the 87-88 season when they made the playoffs for the first time. And so... There are some figures in Devils history that aren't prominent to the Cup years that I'm a fan of, um, but I'm a fan nonetheless. The first would be uh, Chris Terreri. Chris Terreri was the goalie uh, before Brodeur showed up, was Brodeur's backup uh, for, for a few years. Might have been, I think he was his backup in 95, too. And I loved... Think of like how people reacted to Dominic Hasek and Jonathan Quick and their ability to scramble around the crease and make big saves and stuff. And, and Terreri was that mostly because the devils were an atrocious defensive team and it, and it was necessitated, but also because it's kind of the way he played. And as a young kid, I was like, okay, I've seen goalies stand up and do all this stuff and whatever. Um, but I've never seen like a scrambly one. Mm-hmm. And, and I always found Terreri to be extraordinarily, uh, fun to watch, but also a personable fellow. Uh, Troy Crowder would be another one. Troy Crowder, for those who don't know, was uh, the Devils' big uh, heavyweight fighter for a few years. Um, Most famously, won a fight against Bob Probert, the feared uh, late fighter for the Detroit Red Wings, and then uh, their rematch became a really big thing. And, you know, fighting is no longer in the uh, zeitgeist for the National Hockey League, but as a young fan, it was very much uh, a thing that you anticipated. And the guys who fought were, in some ways, and in some circles, as popular as the guys who scored goals. So Troy Crowder being, like, the big sheriff in town for a couple seasons was a big thing for me. And the last one was um, probably, I, 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 would, I would have to say, as much as I love Brodeur, like Scott Stevens was my guy on those Devils championship teams. Um, obviously couldn't play the way he used to play uh, now in the NHL. But the whole thing of him coming to the Devils and, and Lou Lamarillo pulling the, the magic trick of of, uh, of having when Brennan, Brennan Shanahan was signed by the St. Louis Blues to the offer sheet, um, you know, they tried to give – Devils, uh, a package of, I think it was Curtis Joseph and Rob Brindamore, which in hindsight is a pretty good package. And then Lavarillo's like, actually, I think uh, Scott Stevens, this guy that you just signed away from the Capitals, would be the thing that we deserve to get. And the arbitrator's like, you know what, he is. And uh, the rest is history, man. Like, you know, the, the trajectory of a franchise was uh, forever changed because of the uh, absolute boldness of the chief executive uh, asking for more than many believed he deserved in 
and having a player uh, leave his fold. And therefore, uh, right there in the nutshell, explains the magic of Lou Lamorello because he's always been doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, this yep. is this is Hockey Press Pass presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Greg Wyshynski, writes about the NHL for ESPN.com and is seen on their TV programming like The Point and In the Crease. He's also a book author one of the hosts of the podcast Puck Soup, and will forever be remembered for his pioneering work at Yahoo with Puck Daddy. So, so Greg, when it's only been about 13, 14 years when you left the Connection newspapers in Virginia. Is my math correct? That's all right, yeah. So when you look back, like, is, is this, you know, you love the game, you love the devils, you had this great stint can't even call it a stint. It was more than that at Yahoo, uh, where you created something, and now ESPN, and now ESPN getting the NHL. Is this been just like a whirlwind? Is this surreal for you? Like, did you call your shot? You know, please feel. You know, did you see this? Did you see this happening? No, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Uh, when I left the, the Connection newspapers, for those who don't know, were a chain of are a chain of weeklies in Virginia, and I used to live there. I lived there. I settled there after going to the University of Maryland, and I was a sports editor, and then executive sports editor, and then, in true uh, local newspaper fashion, also the arts editor at some point, along with being the sports editor. Uh, that's kind of how it works. And while I was doing that gig, I was writing hockey on the side for a couple magazines. Uh, eventually, for AOL Fan House, which is a Incredible internet relic, if you're not familiar with it. I worked uh, there after you. Yeah, oh yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know, then um, it's it's a it's a wacky place. I mean, um, some of the bloggers that you know, like James Myrtle, for example, worked there with me, and and uh, some other folks did too. Uh, so I was doing the hockey thing, kind of along with the newspaper thing, and, and making some some ancillary uh, income doing it. But it wasn't until uh, a gentleman by the name of Jamie Matram took over at Yahoo and decided to create this blog network that the opportunity came to do this full-time. And I had to convince him to do it full-time. Hockey was not on top of mind for, for Yahoo Sports, uh, even though they had a robust fantasy league. So once I convinced them to kind of like say, hey, hire me at this price, I'll make it worth your while, and we'll, we'll take off from there, um, then, then you know, I ditched the, the newspaper and did the hockey thing full-time. And so... A lot of it is timing. I ain't gonna lie. Like you know, a lot of us bloggers came up at a time when it was really cool to be one. It's kind of like how if you're, you know, a, a YouTube content creator now, mm-hmm. and everybody's sending yeah. you free things or whatever. Like me and Myrtle and everybody came up around the same time. Like we, we were just like the new fancy toy. Mm-hmm. And this was before even like newspapers had their beat writers do blogs and stuff. And so um, I never lose sight of the fact that the timing was right. And then as far as like how it's all gone, I mean, I give full credit to Yahoo for allowing us to kind of do whatever we wanted and create a vision and and have fun at it. And I think it was a really influential blog. And I think, you know, the podcasts that I've done have been really influential. Mm -hmm. Um, Did I ever think I'd end up at a rights holder at ESPN? That would have been uncool back then, right? It would have been uncool. Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> the thing about ESPN back when we were at Yahoo is that we always gave props to the digital side. You know, like when LeBron and Burnside and Custance and Katie were there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we always said, hey, no matter how you feel about the way the sport's covered on air, like these guys are doing a really good job. Now, that, of course, made it awkward when I was hired to replace them. <laughs> right? uh, I had to make some awkward phone calls at that point. Um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, like the idea of now doing this gig uh, and having this platform and, and now having the additional access that comes with being a rights holder, um, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, it, it's overwhelming in the sense of um, having done the job for four years at, at ESPN before we got the rights and making headway and, and changing the tone and center of the of the um, reporting in ways that I always hoped that I could and, and ended up doing. And now it's just like overwhelming in the sense of the whole world has expanded um, in such a dramatic way where all of a sudden there are so many more resources and and everything else and access and everything mm-hmm. else that it's hard to really wrap your brain around what the possibilities could be. And so long story short, no, I never thought of being in this position. And when, when ESPN, when you knew that it looked like ESPN was going to get the rights, uh, it was kind of telegraphed in a way, right? It wasn't a big secret. Did you start to think, you know, how is this change for me? Like, you know, I guess it's possible that you could have been continuing to do what you did but you know was there a point where then there was a sit down and it was like you know what else are you going to want from me will my role expand and can you shed any light on those conversations i mean uh, more, not, not necessarily i think i think you know um <laughs> at places like this sometimes plans are made for you and then you find them out <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah with, with emily in uh at the stanley cup final and uh, you know the rights were announced, and they put out this like trailer with all the names of the people that they had hired to be analysts and play-by-play people. And then she and I were like included in the like on-air reporters part. We're both like, hey, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, we didn't really know about it, about it beforehand. Um, that's kind of why I asked. I had a feeling that might have been how you learned too, right? It, it was definitely how I learned. But 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 there had been conversations beforehand about you know not only um, you know doing. The, the types of on-air things that we're doing now, but but also just like the stuff that we were doing already. I mean, for me, uh, I had done a full year on Daily Wager doing, you know, hockey gambling stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had done, you know, digital video stuff. I knew that would be expanding and continues to expand. So, you know, for me, there's a lot of sort of, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then also just sort of, uh, here are some of the other things that we might be looking for you to do um, but by no means is it ever just like it's completely spelled out for you there's surprises every day <laughs> sorry it's like what your role is i had i i'm so fast i'm unable to uh tell and maybe there isn't is there some sort of uh division of labor with emily in terms of who writes what i i don't see a pattern it's do you guys just grab things as they come she gets what she gets and you find out what you get and or you come up with your ideas like it isn't like she's got one conference and you've got the other or you cover this part of the game and she covers it is there any kind of understanding there 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 was more of one in the past where you know i was in new york Mm -hmm. and then she was in chicago so she did the west and i did the east then i moved to california for a couple years and then the whole thing got jumbled up a little bit then the then the NHL realigned uh, into new divisions. That threw everything out the window. Um, now I think it's just like it's news as it comes. It's it's news as we get it. I mean, she's got certain contacts. I've got certain contacts. Uh, Kristen Shilton, who we just hired to be the third reporter, 
um, with me and Emily has contacts too. So I think it's just kind of like as news rolls in, if they need something, they let us know and we do it. Um, but then it's also kind of us generating our own stories and pitching things and, and doing things. And, and uh, there's no really like uh, uh, boundaries drawn necessarily. Um, but I think there's also sort of an unspoken thing about, you know, geography and, and history with teams. I mean, obviously Emily being in Chicago, like, you know, you defer to her on Blackhawk stuff. And Kristen being in Toronto, we probably defer to her on Leaf stuff. And they know that I'm here in the city. So I think in, in those cases, there might be at least a little bit of an acknowledgement of, hey, I'll give you the heads up before I do a feature on like Panera, let's okay. say, you know, if I'm in New York. What was it like being in the studio for the first time, sharing a studio, uh, a show with John Tortorella and, and, per, and perhaps other people who maybe, you know, and some people have long memories that, that you're like, oh, no, there was that thing I wrote at Yahoo in 2014. Or like, has there been anything like that or has it just been smooth? I've never gotten grief for the stuff I've written at Yahoo, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, or, or, or anywhere. Um, I think that if there has been an issue, it may be with people I've had a relationship with and, and that may have expected me not to be mm-hmm. as critical as I was. But when it comes to just like people that I interact with in a, in a press conference way or, or in an occasional phone call kind of way, like it, it, it's never really been a, a thing where someone's bought up something I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, in Torts's case, I, I think that he doesn't, really care mm-hmm. what's said about him in the media maybe he's only cared about what larry brooks wrote about him at some point mm-hmm. other than that i don't think he really cares and i've had two really good uh, uh times with him you know I, I watched opening night uh penguins lightning with him in the big studio and, and just like bouncing stuff off him and cracking jokes and getting his feedback on what was happening on the ice and then the other time was when we uh co-hosted the the point together our Thursday afternoon show on ESPN uh, two with uh, with Butchergrass and and like it was it was an interesting one because it was the week of the Blackhawks scandal report and so like here's John you know former NHL coach very tight with John with Joel Quenville um, it was before Quenville resigned and he kind of had to like maneuver those waters and I thought he did a pretty deft job he also did a really good job kind of bringing home for a lot of people the, the, the issue he had with the Blackhawks in the situation, which is that, you know, if, if it wasn't a black ace, if Kyle Beach was not just a minor leaguer to them, if he was like their kid, what would the reaction have been? Would they have taken action faster? And of course the answer is yes. And I thought that he did a really good job encapsulating that. And yeah, that's a, the empathetic side of torts that I think a lot of people know exists, but don't necessarily associate with him because of the you know nonsensical circus act he pulls in the media when he's he's coaching in the league yeah he uh he's had some really big emotional moments including uh with columbus blue jackets goalies and uh he's he's been great and that's what matters um you mentioned the chicago blackhawks uh it's where pretty recently was the press conference that gary bettman and bill daly did um, have my remarks on that and my thoughts on that from a PR perspective. Uh, I'm sure this is something you've been asked about and will be on your other platforms like your podcast. I'm not going to, I don't want to take too much away from that, but I just welcome your thoughts on having been part of it. Um, In the moment, as it was going on, did it feel early on that this was bad? 
my words. I thought it was atrocious. I don't, um, yeah, I don't, they, they need to do something. They need to fix it. But, but did it, did you realize early on this, this wasn't going right? Uh, no, because early on it was going right. The first like eight minutes of that press conference were good. Like there was empathy, there was apology, there was compassion, there were plans to move forward with the using the hotline and, and creating the uh, you know organization of, of, of things that will help the players around the world. Like there was all the things you'd probably want from this press conference there. And the way that I, I compare it is like when you're watching a movie and they're defusing a bomb and you can cut the correct wire and the bomb, the timer stops. You know, seconds before it's going to explode. And what the NHL did was they cut the wrong wire, the one that speeds up the timer towards detonation, because they could have diffused the situation by handling it with a different tone, by looking forward rather than, you know, entrenching themselves and in, in, in litigating their own positions and when did you, what did you know and when did you know it? And, and, you know, being a little bit more logical about some of these things. Like, it is completely illogical that Joel Quenville was allowed to coach in that game before Bettman's meeting because they were worried about prejudging him when they suspend players indefinitely all the time before their hearings. It doesn't, it doesn't pass the sniff test. Um, the Rick Westhead stuff, which I'm sure you've covered, was, was a, a self-owned. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's self-inflicted work. You didn't have to do that, except you, you clearly didn't want to talk to the guy. Um, so I felt like they had this opportunity where they could have really done two things well. They could have moved this forward and made people feel comfortable that they understand the severity of what's happened and they're going to do things, especially with people outside the league, because you have to hop out of the hockey circle for this one, uh, to make sure it never happens again. And the other thing they could have done, and this would have been the smart PR thing, because I also got my start in PR before I became a, a journalist, would be to tap into the anger that everyone felt towards the Blackhawks. You know, you could have done it. It'd be really easy. Everybody hates them. Um, and you could have also done it by scapegoating people that are no longer in the league. You don't have to worry about offending them. They've quit, right? So you had the opportunity to be here and be like, you're angry and we're angry because those bastards lied to us, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe we would have bought what they were selling. Probably not. I think the criticisms of the league's role in this are completely valid. But they would have at least kind of rallied people to the cause if they had, I think, tapped into the righteous indignation of people towards Chicago and the way they behaved here. Because um, they, they clearly feel that way. It's just they didn't really go there enough. But if they couldn't bring, and uh, I want to make this about Gary Bettman, not even Bill Daly or anybody else, but if Gary Bettman couldn't bring himself to do that, to show his heart, to show humility, compassion in the moment for the hour or so that the camera was on, as opposed to all the other hours where investigations are going on and he's doing his work, I just don't know why we would expect him to be able to do any of this stuff well. Like my point is, is that I don't believe he is made for this moment anymore. Like this, this is a job that you need somebody else. It isn't just about being a good lawyer and a good businessman in, in 2021 and before and, 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 and in, the, in the future. Uh, this position is going to need something different. So I don't, I don't see how that's ever going to change with him there. I, yeah. I get what you're saying, mm -hmm. and, and I think that there is something to be said for having a figurehead for an organization be 
charismatic and compelling and a better salesperson, especially when that salesperson shows up on, you know, Good Morning America uh, or the Today Show uh, before the seasons talk about the sport. It's never been his forte. It's always been one of his shortcomings that he's not a good salesperson for the league. Um, his, his, his virtue is to the owners and getting them the money that they, that they wanted to get them him, expanding the league's footprint, and doing all the things that Gary Bettman does behind the scenes. And for those who think that a change should be made, that's really on the owners. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that he will have numbers in perpetuity because he's bought so many of those guys into the fold. And the only way that you're going to have him forced out is if it becomes apparent that the things the league has fumbled in the last few years, and I would put the um, the racial protest thing under this that, that umbrella, um, I would put this situation with the Blackhawks under that umbrella, and, and other instances too, um, if it starts costing them money, and if it, if it hurts their bottom line, and one could say that it already has because the Blackhawks are a cash cow and they're not going to be a cash cow for a while, in theory. Um, but that's what's going to be the only way to affect change here is if there was an influential owner or two that are usually in Bettman's corner that then decide, I can't be in this guy's corner anymore. Or else he's just going to be the guy that they call on to you know, go to the mattresses in a labor dispute. They don't care if he's not the guy who says the right thing in a press conference like that. I think the owners should be thinking, I can, you know, I understand they might not think this way, but this isn't the end. Like there's going to be more issues that are going to come up. And and, and assuming that, uh, you know, is that the person you want in that chair? On the Rick Westhead thing, because this podcast is about media and PR, is that, like, I kept on thinking as each day went on that maybe the story would come out that, oh, it was just an honest mistake. He was on a list and, you know, they went alphabetical order, which I know, you know, but just, just something like that, that because who, whether it was PR, and I will name them uh, when it comes to that and, and the people who run it, or Gary, who possibly thought that that was a good idea? Like, how could the idea not have been considering it was about the Blackhawks and, and that Rick Westhead was the person who wrote about it and broke about it? Why would you not lead with him? Why would you not? You'd almost want to put on a show. But to go the opposite way, no matter whose idea that was, that was a bad idea. Well, I think, I think the, the, well, there's two reporters that have been at the heart of this. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, 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 Katie right. Strang. Oh, no, 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 with no, I'm, not, I'm not saying you've yeah. Katie, but I, I was going to draw the, the difference, which is that Katie went like third, mm-hmm. right? And, and, I, and she went third or, or fourth because in her reporting on the league, I think that she has been respectful in representing their side of things in her reporting not like bending the knee to the league or anything but she's very much kind of covered the totality of the story rick is a great reporter and he's the reason that this story broke and he should be allotted for the work that he did in breaking the story and speaking truth to power at a time when it wasn't very popular everybody's doing it now because the story's out and the world is safe for big strong takes but rick was doing it well before that but that said i i I think that he has earned the reputation of being someone who goes after the league um without necessarily looking to write the well-rounded story right so 
that's not a criticism, but it is the reason why Katie goes forth and then Rick goes after the follow-up questions, right? Right. And if their contention, I, I'm, their contention is probably going to be like, oh, there was a thousand people on the call and we didn't see his hand raised or whatever. You got to go find that guy and put him on, right? Like, Without clearly, a question. You got to go find that guy and put him on, um, even if you don't want to. And they always monitor social media. They saw me and other people talking about Rick not getting a question well before Pierre mentioned it on the call. And, like, they, they, the NHL is really good at sometimes creating their own problems. And I think that was a case of them creating their own problems. Yeah, even when uh, Pierre Lebrun mentioned Rick, it, it wasn't, like, on the video, it wasn't like Bettman or Daly said, oh, let's make sure we do that. They just said they're stone <laughs> right. And I don't... <laughs> I actually don't know how that happens. I, I'm baffled by that. I really wanted to talk about Puck Daddy because it, it so these are my words, in, in when you're an old fart uh, and they give you that media award in the Hall of Fame, that, that's, that thing is going, you know, that's the pioneering thing. You will do great work for many years in ESPN and everywhere else, but you, you, you broke a mold, you made the mold. Uh, it, but to me, it, it feels like it, it, it's something that all of a sudden just was in my life and I think was in the fans' life, like me, or uh, the consumers of it. Um, when you started it, and I know it was uh, with the help of the editors and, and everybody else there, but did it, so puck headlines and the different departments and the regular features, did, it, did that evolve slowly? Like, did it, did, or did you go into it like, all right, for the first couple of weeks, you know, let's try to do this, that, and the other thing? Well, I don't, I don't want to overlook something here, which is that you believe I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you're going to get the media award, as certain people love to say, right? Like, is that, he won the Fer- <laughs> he or she won the Ferguson Award. They're not, you know, that's given out at the Hall of Fame induction this, ceremony. This, just, this basically means that you think I'm going to continue writing into my 60s. That's one prerequisite for the award. Uh, uh, and then, and that there's enough people within the writing community, the same people who I've criticized for years, that will then say, hey, it's Greg's turn to get the award. I think you're spot on. I've wanted nothing more than the utter hilarity of me walking up and grabbing that plaque and, and maybe even having Gary Bettman introduce me. I mean, all of these things are amazing, and I completely love the fact that you think it's, it's a potential reality. It is going to happen, but, but so you, you might outlast some of those people. There'll be a new batch of voters. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Just like you had to wait for the selection committee to have more Europeans in there before you get the Russian guys to come mm-hmm. in. Maybe I just need more blog. I need like Myrtle to get old, and then he'll put me in the Hall of Fame. Um, so the, 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 we just threw everything at the wall and see what worked. Uh, there were a couple things that we knew we wanted to do. Puck headlines, which is something I've carried over to my Thursday column at ESPN, I knew I wanted to do every day at noon um, because I knew that it was, A, a way for us to kind of like capture the news that had come through the cycle in the morning, but also a way for people to find new writing. And at the time, this is like pre-athletic, this is pre, you know, all of these big sites that have lots of writers. Like there were people that was, had personal blogs, like lawyers who wrote about the capitals on the side, and, and they were doing amazing work. Um, and many of them now work for teams doing analytics, but, but it was a moment where we could then take their work and, and share it and, and try to broaden the tent of, of hockey writing and hockey fandom to, to allow people to discover new writers and, and see new people. And one of the most exhilarating things for me um, 
you know, along with people that say that we were in, they were inspired by the podcast Merrick and I did to do their own podcast, was people still come to me and say, you know, if it wasn't for Puck Headlines, nobody would have found my blog, um, which is incredible. Like, it's the only reason we did it, and it was awesome. Yeah. Um, no, I raised my hand. I raised my hand because I, you did it for me as well, too. You yeah. mentioned things about me. And then the other stuff was like, it was just fun. You know, we just tried to do different things. I mean, obviously, Jersey Fowls is something that lives on till today, and and that was always fun. We used to do Photoshop contests, which got a little out of hand, but were pretty really fun. And same thing with the eulogies. For those who don't know, we used to do a thing where we would have a blogger who hated the team that was just eliminated from the playoffs write the eulogy for that team, and they became like comedy central roasts of, of the teams mm-hmm. that were like eliminated. It was ridiculous and super fun. Um, and just like try different things and, and you know my, my, my goal when we got the blog was to do it with publish with more frequency than anything else that Yahoo did and my my um, in, in between uh, Fan House and Yahoo I wrote a dead spin when mm-hmm. Will Leach was the editor and I was always in awe of the frequency of their publishing and it was I was always thought that was sort of the secret to their success was like every 15 minutes you go back to that site and there'd be something new and my goal for Puck Daddy was every hour you come back to the site from like 9 a.m. to like 6 p.m., there's probably going to be something new. Whether it's a short thing on the news of the day, whether it's something longer, whether it's a feature story, a Q&A, whatever, there, there was going to be something new. And um, and it kind of worked out that way. And, and I feel like that helped train me and train the other writers to also write quickly and write well quickly. Um, which I think is is something that is still one of my best virtues, and it, even it was a virtue back in the newspaper days, is is the ability to not only like turn around a news story quickly, but to turn around an analysis quickly on something that's literally just happened. Hey guys, it's Pat, and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. Find your crowd at one of our Magic The Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game. Hey, everybody. It's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think of the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media, like the people we spotlight each week on Press Pass. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with, so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey. 
be, you know, because I'm shallow and I only have certain interests and none of them are that important, like hockey, like movies and the arts and things like that. I, I thought back then, and, I, and you've tweeted about this person uh, a few times, I believe. So I was a huge Roger Ebert fan. And the guy, before he was sick and then when he was sick, he worked relentlessly. Like he was another person who seemed to do more probably than the paper asked him to do. He had a Sunday great movies column, and when he didn't do that, I think every other week was the answer man. And online it would be thousands of words, right? He takes questions. And he brand, he did the books, and then he always seemed to be on top of things with other kinds of media. Were you inspired by him? Like was he, was he one of the people perhaps who's – the, the way he branched out into different things and also just worked at it nonstop, columns, opinions, news, everything, reviews, of course, uh, was that a, a, a part for you? It, it was, and, and his writing was always very mm-hmm. um, influential for me. Um, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the one takeaway I, always took, I had from Ebert was the way he, like, Trashing something is pretty easy, right? Like you can really sink your claws into something and, and trash it. And, and he was really good at it. And I, and I definitely took some inspiration. His, his books of bad movie reviews were a staple on the Wyshynski family toilet. Um, his review of North by Rob Reiner yeah, is, right. is legendary. Hated, hated, hated <laughs> so those were inspiring only because they were really well-written and snarky. And obviously like snark has always been a, a forebearer in my writing probably because I grew up in New Jersey but it was his ability to capture with enthusiasm and with the same passion in which he tore down something something that he loved mm-hmm. and that was the lesson I took is that like it's really easy to, to, to go knives out on a, on a team that sucks but it's it's trickier to make to write a story about someone that you admire or somebody that's a positive force um, and make it interesting for people. So like, you know, like give you an example. I wrote a a feature on Dougie Hamilton Mm -hmm. uh, recently for ESPN. And Dougie Hamilton is like, (laughs) he's like a fawn. You know, he's somebody who's been run afoul in four different places or three different places before he got to the Devils' his fourth team in 10 years. And it's exhilarating to me to have people read a story like that, a feature like that, and really like it, because it could come off as, as treacly and, and saccharine, um, but it, it ends up being one that has a little bit of edge to it, while also being the celebration of a really unique individual. And you know, I think if anything, the Ebert thing taught me that you got you have to be able to do all of the writing well, not just like the easy layup writing well, um, and that's that's tough and I think at the end of the day like we talk about like what separated us from the pack I mean I think it's that ability to write about different things and different tones um, the funny stuff and the serious stuff and do do it all pretty well now you didn't ask me about the the real trick to Puck Daddy which was the three joke minimum okay the three joke minimum was (laughs) my edict to all the writers of Puck Daddy that as long as you're not writing about something that does not require a joke there has to be at least three things in the story you've written that make you laugh. They don't have to be funny to anybody else but you. But there have to be three things in there that you think are clever or make you chuckle. 
And if you've done that, then I think you've captured the tone that we're looking for. Because then others will find that flippancy to be, uh, well, in some cases, off-putting. But in, in most cases, uh, something they want to consume more of. Do you remember, was there a moment or a week where after you launched Puck Daddy and your team, where you it, it really you got high on it because you saw that the numbers were coming in and this thing was catching on? Do you recall that? I recall it two, three different times. One was when my friend Dmitry Chesnikov did a uh, Russian language interview with... Right. Um, Alexander Semin, I think it was yep. at the time, and he criticized Sidney Crosby about, I think he called him a piece of driftwood or some such. And, and I remember that story going like all over the place. Uh, and, and, and I remember at the time, and this would go on for a few years, they, there, were, there were outlets in Canada that wanted to pick up the story, but they refused to name the name of the blog. They call it Yahoo Sports instead of Buck Daddy, which I thought was really funny. The second time was when, uh, also speaking of Canada, I was on a blogger panel with uh, Paul Kukla, Kukla's mm-hmm. Corner, me, and I want to say somebody else, and we all talked to Ron McLean about this bizarre world of blogs and what are blogs and stuff, and it was really funny, and I, I'll never forget that moment because Ron McLean uh, in- introduced me and said I had a rapier wit, which is <laughs> amazing. Thing. And then the third time, from a logistics standpoint, uh, was when we, the, we became, it became apparent that while we didn't have the traffic of the football blog or the basketball blog because they would cover the NFL and the NBA and they get on the front page of Yahoo Sports with frequency, um, we had uh, a, a, a huge amount of time spent reading our articles. And in mm-hmm. some cases, we had a lot more organic traffic than other blogs on the site. And for a very, very long time, um, maybe in perpetuity at some point we were the number three blog behind uh nba and nfl there'd be you know changes here and there during march madness or like bowl season or whatever um the world series whatever but like for the most part we were the third most popular blog on this gigantic network of of sports blogs um and and we were sometimes even uh bigger than football and basketball insofar as the amount of time people spent on the blog Mm -hmm. so we had a very dedicated readership and I always I always valued that I've always felt like we did a remarkable job of of uh, building a community along with building um, like a readership I, I used to think about it then when occasionally we would be in touch on something a story um, and I, it's relevant to now because I see what happens in social media with the people who run the team accounts for example and the work that has to be put in um, was there, you know, you went to ESPN, but was there a time where you either had to figure it out or there was no solution? I, I guess what I'm referring to is a burnout factor because news would break, you know, 11 months a year in a normal year, August, maybe quiet. Um, but it was just nonstop at all times. And you were always on it or your team, but I'm sure you would read the piece or something like that. So did it ever get bad? I get it. It's hockey. It's fun. We love it. But did it ever get to a point where it was you were wondering if you could keep that pace going? Well, no. I mean, but that's because I'm a workaholic. Okay. Uh, you know, like like I'm still on the stick at ESPN from like eight thirty in the morning until eleven at night most nights. It's just that I'm not writing all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm just cognizant of what's happening. 
Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I've spoken to journalism classes before, and I, and I tell them that if you're going to pursue this line of work, it's a lifestyle choice. And I know that's not a very popular thing to say. Like your work shouldn't be your life. And I'm, by no means am I saying that you should be defined by your job, mm-hmm. but it's it's a lie <laughs> to say to somebody coming into this business that it isn't a lifestyle choice. That if something happens when you are out living your own life, you're going to have to reorder your priorities and probably do something on it. Um, it's just the way, the way of the world. I never really got burned out. Um, you know, I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I think if anything, you know, the repetitive nature of some of the, the reporting that you have to do can be a bit much. Like by the time you're doing you know, season previews mm-hmm. for the ninth year, you're just kind of like, all right, well, just think of something clever that we could do as a format this time. Um, but uh, but no, I never I never really got burned out, nor nor am I burned out. Um, I think uh, I think the cool thing about it is that there are always new players coming through and new stories to, to tell, and there's always like different angles to take than what's what's out there or what's anticipated. But right. no, I, I don't I don't know. Like I. I, I I, mean, I understand your question, and I mm-hmm. think there are times when I'm exhausted, especially like towards the end of the season, where you're just on fumes. And you're just like, "All right, let's 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 let's, let's stand like a final sweep. Let's go." <laughs> you know? yeah. but, uh, but, uh, but for the most part, I think it's just like you just it just the momentum of the job keeps you going. And, and by the way, it takes a lot of balls for me. I'm I'm asking you about burnout and wondering if you're you know concerned about it, and I'm asking you to talk to me on a podcast for 45 minutes on a week <laughs> on a week on a weeknight between driving to Bristol and, and uh, writing your next uh, full-length feature. So I uh, just two last quickies uh, on the the season itself, big picture. Is there, is this anybody's cup for eight teams, 12 teams, four teams? It feels like there's more teams coming to that Tampa, Colorado, Islanders, Washington pack. Your, your thoughts on, on where this could head many months from now in this grind of a season? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's been some surprises as far as like teams that look a little, a little different than we expected, Calgary being one of them. Mm-hmm. And as we do this podcast, you know, there's a lot of talk about may or may not be getting Jack Eichel mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like. But the Daryl Sutter effect there in solidifying their defense was predictable. Uh, them, like Andrew Magiapani and like uh, Elias Lindholm challenging Alex Ovechkin for the goal scoring lead, probably not anticipated. The fact that, that Vegas has been decimated by injuries makes you a little bit wary about their prospects in maybe, uh-oh, are the, is there going to be some people in the division that run past them and can they recover? Because that's a team I think a lot of us had penciled into the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Colorado, not a surprise that they've struggled a little bit. I felt like the decimation of their bottom six depth was sorely uh, underestimated, um, as well as the change in goal. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're not the, the guarantee that I think a lot of people thought they'd be. And then in the East, I mean, you're just seeing some teams out kicking their coverage right now. I mean, Carolina looks really, really good. Florida looks really, really good. So I think you're right that the party's been expanded, expanded a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think anybody would really be shocked if it's, you know, a Tampa 3 at the end of the season. Does the cap crunch just hurt too much, or is there a potential, again, many months from now, of an exciting trade deadline or pre-deadline season? Oh, yeah, no, I think I think so. It, you know, the, the cap crunch is always an issue, um, but I think that 
market forces like who's in contention and who isn't, um, who's headed to free agency and, and who doesn't want to pay them. Um, those are the things that really determine the trade deadline more than the cap situation. I mean, there are always ways to get around the cap, as Tampa showed us last year. Um, and the, ex- the continued existence of the Arizona Coyotes tells me there's always going to be people that can you know, take on salary in like a three-way trade. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I think the, more than the, the cap being somewhat flat, it's usually those other unpredictable market forces that, that tell us whether it's going to be a fun deadline or not. Will you and Bucci and Emily, will you get together with uh, the team at Bristol and, and talk about what you need to do for a trade deadline show or <laughs> for the week? I think, I think of all these trade deadline shows that wind up, they come on the air and they go, what do we want to talk about now? Because the trades have been made already. I don't know how that works. I mean, Emily and Kevin Weeks, who are sort of our de facto insiders, were on the TSN show at uh, Free Agency. So I don't know if it's going to be kind of like we'll work with TSN mm-hmm. to do things or we'll have our own gig. That hasn't really been discussed yet. It's so far down the line. Um, but but that's how it worked, at least for Free Agency. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, we're, we're, we're blessed with having a relationship with uh, a really, really great and talented uh, outfit in Canada where you know we all have a lot of friends they do fantastic work every every trade and free agent deadline so we'll see we'll see what comes of it have you worked with dipietro yet no i haven't worked with ricky yet but like we know each other through the gig and we were friends like well, not friends but acquaintances through uh pug daddy and, and, and having done some stories but like I, I there's so many people that i respect and really hope i get a chance to work with um there ray ferraro being one of them mm-hmm. um you know the fact that he's between the benches for us is doing analysis is incredible um and, and um you know uh, boucher and i you know i've worked together on a number of goalie stories in the past too so it's just a really cool deal like you know it's it, like i said before for four years it was like me and emily and then occasional other writers here and there and then you know the the troika of hockey loyalists that were at espn of bucci and linda and, and uh, barry melrose and now it's like the universe has expanded so much that the possibilities are endless as far as like the amount of coverage you can do with the with these folks that are aboard and analysis and things like that and you know when when our digital side gets sort of ramped up mid-season like where me and Art Ocal are going to do some stuff I think it's just going to be so much fun to utilize uh, some of the talent that we have there including Mr. Messier and Chelios of course, of course. Uh, who, as I said to Messier uh, a couple weeks ago we're like the cool kids in school sitting in the back of the, uh, the class at orientation yeah. when we all met in Chicago. Those guys are just sitting in the back, I'm just, know, throwing some, shooting spitballs or something. I'm just really happy. Uh, I'm just happy for, I'm especially happy for DiPietro. I hope he's utilized more often. I saw one shift that he did with Tortorella and Arda, and they were fun. He just made me laugh constantly on the plane. There's another level for him there, I believe, as a broadcaster. I know he's done the talk radio thing, but the thing about him is he's a, like Ray Ferraro. It's one thing, another thing they have in common. They are huge sports fans. Like, they love yeah. all sports or most sports. Extremely knowledgeable and a lot of fun, and I, I hope uh, he gets utilized more. I know you're one of the people who can uh, get the best out of him because you've gotten to know him over the years. So um, this was fantastic, Greg. I can't thank you enough. Congratulations on all of it. You 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 earned all this through your innovation, creativity, and I'm just it's just so great to see you in this spot. And I appreciate your time. No, I appreciate you, man. It's very kind of you to say, and you know, appreciate your help through the years on on things. And you know, it's a 
big scary world now. Right, Soldier Greg? We'll see where it all goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be watching every step. Thanks so much, Greg. Anytime. Thanks, Evan. Take care. All right, guys, that'll do it for another episode of Hockey Press Pass. I'm producer Pat Boyle. Our thanks, as always, to everybody for coming on the show. Greg Wyshynski, of course, the man in charge, Chris Botta, everybody else who works on the show. And, of course, we couldn't do it without you guys, the listeners, for showing your support, rating, subscribing, and staying involved. We've got some exciting shows coming up, some very, very exciting episodes, all centered around the grand opening of UBS Arena for the Islanders home opener in their brand new arena. We've got an unbelievable guest. You'll find out who that is in the coming days, and we'll also have another episode of Islanders Forecheck as we break down some more of this season of Islanders hockey. It's all coming up next week on Hockey Press Pass.